We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tori Gordon from the Coachable Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. But now, they're raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. Blue Wire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help the show continue to grow. If you would like to be part of the Blue Wire investment round and want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire. What's up, Coachable family? Welcome back to the Coachable Podcast. I am your host, Tori Gordon, here in Blue Wire Studios, live in Las Vegas. And I'm joined today by none other than Light Watkins, who I'm so excited to have the honor to speak with. Light is somebody who is such a bright light in this world. He is a meditation teacher. He is the author of three best-selling books, The Inner Gym, Bliss More, Knowing Where to Look, and most recently, his new book, Travel Light, Spiritual Minimalism to Live a More Fulfilled Life. I know uh, already before we jump into this conversation, it's going to be filled with so much wisdom, insights, and practical tools that you can apply to your life to help you cultivate more inner peace and connect with your purpose so that you can live a more fulfilled life. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode and this awesome conversation. Light, welcome to the Coachable Podcast, my friend. Thank you for tuning in and being here with us. Thank you, Tori, and roll tide. <laughs> I love it. Roll tide. <laughs> we found out, I found out right before we we started filming that we are both Alabamians, Alabama natives. You grew up in Montgomery, Alabama. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Grew up in Montgomery, child of the 70s. So mm. 
that was a little bit before your time, I imagine. Just but, a little bit. Uh, I was a 90s, early, early, <laughs> early 90s baby. But um, yeah, tell me, because this is my first time really getting to sit with you and get to know you outside sure. of what I know online. But give me just a little bit of your background. Like how does an Alabama boy go to like becoming a meditation teacher that is teaching the Meghan Markles and the like who's who of the world mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. traveling out of a backpack for five years. I mean, give me a little <laughs> bit of the background. So quick montage of my background. Grew up in Montgomery, went away to, couldn't wait to get out of Alabama, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I'm sure you can relate. Yeah. Um, and it's, there's nothing wrong with it necessarily. It's just a bit slow. Yeah. You want a little more excitement in your life, then you're going to have to go elsewhere. Um, grew up going to church every Sunday, pretty much because that was the toll you had to pay to be able to go play mm. on Sunday afternoons. My mom was a stickler for, uh, her kids needing to go to church. She, she wasn't a very religious person, but she felt like it was a good foundation, you know, just to understand the how to be a good person and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So anyways, never really connected to religion. Um, nothing against it. I just didn't really feel like it was for me. I didn't know what was out there. I just had a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. So then uh, after college, I started dabbling in the fashion industry. I started doing some modeling, started taking some leaps of faith, um, cut to me living in New York City. And I'm going out to dinner with the girl that I was dating at the time. She was getting ready and I was, I saw this book on her bookshelf called Conversations with God. And I picked it up and started reading it. And that became a sort of gateway book to me becoming a more intentional spiritual seeker. And I started realizing, well, you know, I think I have more gifts and talents than I'm able to use in the modeling industry. So. I started dabbling in yoga and meditation. I started prioritizing that over going to modeling castings. And then eventually I said, you know what? I need to go to the Mecca of spirituality in America, which happened to be Los Angeles mm -hmm. at the time. This is now 2002. Um, and so I decided to retire myself from modeling and to become a yoga teacher, which I did. I went out to LA, took a yoga teacher training, and met my meditation teacher, the man who would really transform my relationship with meditation. And, um, and I started meditating like clockwork. And in 2007, I went to India for the first time and I studied with him uh, in becoming a meditation teacher. And later that year, I became a full-time meditation teacher. So that was uh, 15, a little bit over 15 years ago now, which, um, also kind of changed my life because I started doing talks on, on meditation themed topics. Um, I have a popular Ted talk that I gave back in 2015 and I started writing books. I write, wrote my first book I think in 2014 came out in 2015, started doing retreats and trainings around the world, started giving keynote talks. And then in 2018, I had this inner calling to, vacate my two bedroom apartment in Santa Monica and start traveling light. Mm -hmm. In other words, I moved into a carry on bag, got rid of everything else, no storage room. If it didn't fit into the carry on bag, it had to go. So I ended up throwing away yearbooks, photo albums. Sure. Granted, I scanned everything in. So I still have all that stuff mm -hmm. in digital form, but 
I got rid of the hard copy version of them. And I've been traveling light ever since. And then through that experience, I developed a framework for what I call spiritual minimalism. Mm. And, you know, normal minimalism is, you know, I want to get rid of this chair, this couch, this table to create more space. And the thinking is, if I can create more external spaciousness, then I'll experience more internal peace. Mm. And with spiritual minimalism, it's about creating spaciousness internally. Yeah. And as a result of creating spaciousness internally, you may not live in what someone would consider to be the conventional minimalist environment, but you feel peaceful inside. And as a result, you're not attached to the things, to um, mostly to things that are not serving you. Right. You, you know, no one has to tell you not to be too attached to things that you enjoy already and that are beneficial and healthy for you right you mm -hmm. should be attached to drinking water you should be mm -hmm. attached to exercise you should be attached to eating whole foods but it's when we get into areas like sugar consumption or toxic relationships or outdated belief systems meaning belief systems that are not lining up with our direct experience mm -hmm. and we, but we can't seem to let go and and usually when we feel stuck in life it's because of one of those kinds of things it's not because you're drinking you know, you're, it's not because you're hydrating. It's not because you're exercising. Sure. It's not because you're being of service. It's usually because there's a part of your life, probably a blind spot, where you're holding on to something that's no longer serving you, but you can't seem to let it go. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, clearing out your living room and, and getting rid of that old blender you haven't used in two years is not going to be the solution. <laughs> <laughs> you need to do it. You need to get rid of the internal clutter. You need to get rid of the emotional baggage. And then as a byproduct of that, you'll be able to let go of the things that are holding you back. Oof. You, my friend, are speaking my language um, in so many ways. And I'll tell you why. Because what you call internal clutter, I, I've i called it emotional debris. Mm -hmm. um, and the kind of metaphor I use and the listeners who frequent this show have probably heard me talk about is um, – that life will bring you storms and storms typically kick up a lot of debris. And then what happens when we have been taught how to emotionally process and how to really navigate big uh, challenging times, which most of us weren't as children. Uh, but if we are, we're taught how to go clean that up. Right. And I, part of my story is that I uh, experienced a large, tornado in Alabama. I don't know if you remember the April uh, 2011, the massive F4 tornadoes that came through. It came mm -hmm. through Tuscaloosa. And that, I was living there at the time, going to college there, and it completely destroyed the town. And so I have this visceral memory, right, of all of this debris and all of this damage and how often we experience those kind of storms in our own life, whether it's divorce, heartbreak, um, you know, job loss, a disease, something that's happened, right? And we, it kind of just lays there. And then inevitably we, instead of picking up the pieces and sorting through what, what do we want to keep? What needs to be discarded? It just kind of all takes up space and then inevitably something else challenging comes at some point and more debris gets piled on top and more debris gets piled on top. And I know there are listeners who who are listening to this right now and they're like, I, Tori, I am up to here. 
I cannot see over the debris and the clutter in my mind, in my heart. I don't know which way is up. Uh, and I, it's a mess. It's a mess in here. My mind is is so filled with stories and beliefs and thoughts and lists of things I should be doing. And I don't know, I can barely breathe. How do I start to declutter? How do I start to, to untangle that web, that ball of yarn that's like feels like it has just grown and grown and grown for so long? And so that's why I would love to start with you. It's like when people are like up to here, you know, because I imagine that you've yeah. got students that come to your, whether it's your workshops, your retreats, or they come to meditation and they're like, we come to it because we're seeking something. We need help. We're, we're realizing that we need a better way because what we're doing is not working. So what mm. do you say to people who are like, oh, my mind is so filled with clutter. How do you start to piece out and understand what is mine? What do I want to keep? What do I want to discard? What's that process like? Yeah, I like something you said, you know, just a moment ago, you said what we're doing is not working, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that's something that <clears throat> we may say in passing, but we don't really embody that, um, you know, what Einstein said, you can't solve a problem. <clears throat> Einstein said, you can't solve a problem from the same state of consciousness that created the problem. You can't, right? what you have to do is you have to you have to rise above it you have to expand your consciousness which is just another way of saying you have to become more aware mm -hmm. right you have to be aware of the blind spots you have to be aware of the areas where you may be getting in your own way so right off the bat we want to uh, humble ourselves to our whatever situation we're in mm -hmm. and recognize that this situation has gotten a little bit out of hand or maybe a lot out of hand it's gotten more powerful than we're able to handle with the methods that we've been employing and we need something new something different mm -hmm. and so usually what's what what's required is doing less doing less so a period in our day where we're doing less and that's the essence of a practice like meditation that's all it means when we talk about meditation is you're going to sit down and do less, do least, and then ultimately, when possible, do nothing. And what's what's quite remarkable about that, meaning it's worthy of remarking about once you have the experience directly, is that through just sitting and being, establishing yourself in being with your eyes closed, and you can sit comfortably. I talk about this in my work. You don't have to look like a monk because that's uncomfortable and you're not going to be able to get present with the experience. You're just going to be thinking, how long is this going to last? Oh my God, my mind is so busy, blah, 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 blah. So to, to, to solve for that, all you have to do is sit comfortably, sit on your couch, sit like you're going to watch your favorite Netflix show. And right off the bat, you have positioned your body and your mind to have a more settled experience. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you're going to start stripping back the layers of doing. So we naturally want to, to control something. And so the first 
area of control may be, let me try to not have these negative thoughts. Let me only have positive thoughts. Well, that's going to become an exercise in futility because whatever you're resisting in your mind is going to persist. <laughs> and so if you try to suppress certain thoughts, you're going to end up having more of those thoughts. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. See, we think there are some people out there who can control their thoughts and then there's us. Right. And in my experience, I can't do it. So I can't meditate. Meditation is not for me. Right. But the reality is everybody's mind is busy. The nature of everybody's mind is more or less the same. And there was a study that was conducted back in, um, I think it was in the 80s at Harvard University. And it was conducted by a psychology professor who wanted to see if it's possible to control the mind. Can you suppress your thoughts that you don't want to have? Mm -hmm. And the way he tested this was he had a room full of students sit at uh, tables and they were instructed to put their index finger on top of, each of them had a silent little button mechanism. So they put their fingers on top of the button. And if you press the button, it sent a silent signal to some person who was able to uh, a, 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 see how many times each student was were pressing the button and he told them i want you to just sit comfortably close your eyes and i want you to think about one thought only i want you to think about white polar bears and as you're thinking about the white polar bear thought i want you to click the button and keep clicking the button and if you accidentally start to get distracted and you start thinking about your lunch or your to-do list or whatever else has nothing to do with the white polar bear thought then you'll stop pressing the button. But once you come back to the white polar bear thought, start tapping the button again so we can record how often you get distracted. Mm -hmm. And so they do this for five minutes. And at the end of that, they give them a little break and then they have them come back, sit down, put your fingers back on the button. And they say, okay, now this time, you can think about anything in the world you wanna think about, as long as it's not about a white polar bear. <laughs> if you accidentally think about the white polar bear, tap the button so we can record how many times it accidentally occurs. So they record them for the same amount of time. Five more minutes goes by. They tally up the results from the first half and the second half of the study. They do a meta-analysis. Guess what they find? When they weren't supposed to be thinking about white polar bears, when they were specifically instructed to let their minds roam free, think about whatever you wanna think about, that's when they thought about white polar bears the most. <laughs> and some of those students were bordering on obsession. That's all they could think about in that second five minutes was the thought they were instructed not to think about. Mm. And so the conclusion from this study, number one, any time you're trying to focus on a thought, your mind is going to get distracted after about three to four seconds. And number two, if you try to resist a thought, that's all you're going to think about. <laughs> so this is the nature of the mind. Right. And when people talk about, oh, I have monkey mind, all they're describing is the nature of the mind when you try to control it. Right. If you try to control it, you will create the conditions for a monkey mind type of feeling, which means your mind is just swinging all over the place like a, like a monkey. Right. And um, so, the, yeah, so, so the, the solution is just to be comfortable don't try to control your mind. I talk about the minimalist approach to meditation because I know how it can be if you don't have uh, good instructions or a good understanding of how it works. So I try to do that in a way that would 
help people just be able to do this really anywhere on mm -hmm. airplanes and living rooms because it's so important for establishing that foundation for hearing the voice of your own intuition, which I call your heart voice. Mm. And so that's that's the second step. Once you get your stillness practice going, then you'll be able to tune into that voice that's going to help to lead you out of that that experience you're describing, where you have all this sort of internal turmoil and chaos mm -hmm. playing out, and you don't know which way is up and which way is down. Yeah, that's so that's so powerful. I love what you just said. It's like. I just can hear um, the voice of so many people that says like that's longing for inner peace, which is really what your book is about helping people to cultivate. And it makes me think about, you know, how do we really achieve inner peace when we're at war in our minds? Right. And um, this is brings up something that that you just touched on which is like the first step is is stillness and and actually just being with yourself actually becoming aware of the voices in your mind and the thoughts that you're thinking and thinking about what you're thinking about because most of us are so busy and so distracted and so tuned in and turned on with with our devices and everything else um we live in a culture especially in the west that allows us to stay completely distracted if we'd like to. And yet the, the path to freedom and the path to peace requires us to actually reconcile and come into contact and closeness with, with all of the thoughts that we're actually trying to, to suppress. Um, and so, so those that, that are like, okay, like I need to get still and I need to sit on my couch and I need to, quiet myself and start to notice the voice and hopefully in, and so doing it, it kind of turns up the volume on that still small voice, which you just said is you call your heart voice. Can you talk about what that voice is? How do we start to differentiate the, all of the thoughts, all of the stories that keep running, you know, the things that we come, that come in and come out all the time that take so much of our energy and how do we start to differentiate that voice of the ego, maybe from the voice of, of our hearts and our intuition that's really trying to show us and illuminate the path forward? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, well, to answer that question, I want to I use an analogy um, to kind of illustrate how people actually benefit from a stillness practice in real life, mm -hmm. okay? And the analogy is, imagine that you are in a dark, confined space, pitch black. Imagine if that space is roach infested mm. and you're in there indefinitely, okay? Mm. So you're standing some points, because you don't want roaches crawling over you. And then eventually you get tired and you have to sit or you try to lie down and they're just all over you. And you never know where they're gonna come from or how big they are. You can't even really see them. You can just feel them all mm -hmm. over you. You can imagine how, how anxious that situation would make someone yep. uh, where you, you're, you're being attacked essentially by these things that are just kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of a way of illustrating how people are experiencing life, right. right? And when you have a lot of darkness in your life, 
and you feel like you're being attacked and the things that are attacking you are not necessarily life threatening. They're just nuisances. Mm -hmm. And, but it just, it distracts you from just doing normal things. So then you may hear a self-help guru or somebody say you should eat better or you should exercise. And you're like, I can't, I don't have to, I can't do that. I'm just trying to survive this little cockroach mm -hmm. situation. I'm trying to survive these little nuisances and that could, manifest as depression, it can manifest as OCD, it can manifest as, you know, some other kind of addictive behavior. But that's kind of just a way of illustrating it. And so what meditation does is it doesn't get rid of the cockroaches. Mm. What meditation does is it gets rid of the darkness. And mm. all the darkness is, is the absence of light. Mm. So meditation turns up the light, it turns up the light. And you can get a clearer view of whatever your situation is. Okay. And once the light gets turned up, you may see, oh, there's a hole where all the cockroaches are coming through. Mm -hmm. So there's a cockroach infestation and they're coming through this hole into this room. So you can patch up that hole. You can obstruct that hole. Now you've limited the number of cockroaches in your life. Mm -hmm. And so this is analogous to the process of healing and getting your life back on track. And it's, it's a, you have, you have to do the work, yeah. but in order to do the work, you need to be able to see where the obstructions are or where the holes are or where the areas are that you're kind of getting in your own way. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the heart voice or the intuitive voice or the still small voice, it's really just an awareness that's showing you what's obvious, the obvious connection. It's making connections between things that, that previous to that may seem to be unconnected or disconnected or chaotic mm -hmm. in your life, mm -hmm. okay? So it's not, a, it's not an actual voice talking to you, sure. saying you should go out to you know, do this thing. It's, it's as obvious to you as seeing you know, little cockroaches coming out of a hole yeah. <laughs> and they're coming all over you and you're thinking, okay, you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know I need to patch up that hole. Sure. Right. So that's, that's what the heart voice actually is. Now, when we comes when it comes to the ego voices and the other voices, the fear voices mm -hmm. and all these other voices that are in there, those are the voices that create stories right. to justify why these things are happening. So when we're jumping to conclusions, when we're making assumptions, when we're having misaligned expectations about what should be happening versus what's actually happening, those are those other voices of the ego and fear and trauma and pain and you know these kinds of things. And those are gonna be in there too, but the still small voice is that awareness. Mm -hmm. It's the awareness that allows us to see the reality of the situation. Yeah. So I, I oftentimes equate meditation with, uh, with Wonder Woman's lasso. Mm -hmm. you, you're, you're a fan of Wonder Woman, I'm assuming. Sure. Do, you, do you remember the power, her, her special superpower of her lasso? No, tell me about it. It's a, it's a truth serum. Mm. When she lassos you and she asks you a question, you can't lie. You have to tell the truth. Wow. And meditation is like a truth serum mm -hmm. in that way. It turns up the light and you start to see what's actually happening. And you're like, oh, this relationship in its current dynamic is not sustainable. Right. You know, I'm in a relationship with someone who's, who's got a loose idea of boundaries. There's not a lot of clear communication. 
Uh, my expectations are here and, and what's happening when I'm experiencing directly is here. So that needs to be aligned. Mm -hmm. And it's not an overnight process, just like getting rid of these cockroaches is not an overnight process because they're having babies and you know, <laughs> maybe I'm laboring this analogy a little bit. But, but the point is you can see what you need to do right. and then you can get busy with more focused, targeted work. Yeah. So it may take you a couple of months to get out of that abusive relationship. It may take you a year to get your side project going so you can get out of that toxic work environment that you've been in for 10 years that mm -hmm. you hate going to and you are so relieved when Friday comes and you know these kinds of things that we basically normalized. But actually, when we look at it under the light of our inner consciousness and awareness, it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. It's not creating the type of life that we say we want. And it's not prioritizing the kinds of experiences that we say light us up inside. And we have to do something about it mm -hmm. because either through getting more awareness or just through getting older, one thing becomes very apparent. Nobody's coming to save you. Mm -hmm. You are your own superhero. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to put your own cape on. You got to put in your own work around here. <laughs> no one, mm -hmm. no one cares as much as you care about your life and about how you feel about your life as you do. And so you have to, you have to take those steps and they're scary steps to start taking, but it's also addicting. Once you get into the habit of betting on yourself, the habit of taking leaps of faith, then you'll find that, you know, you want to do it more and more in other aspects of life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think about the places that some people are in, you know, when it, it really, there has to come a time when you're willing to step out of the darkness and into the light and see your life and your situation, your circumstance for what it is. Cause it's easy just to keep, you know, to stay in ignorance. Ignorance is bliss. We say that for a reason, right? To some degree, but we're living with a, a level of suffering that we would rather we're choosing over the discomfort of seeing uh, maybe, you know, to go on with your analogy, all the holes that are, are feeding our, you know, our issues, our problems, because sometimes we're like, I, I want I'd rather live in denial. I don't want to look at it. I don't, I don't want to go to the doctor and see what's actually happening. I don't want to, to become aware because that means I actually have to be responsible for doing something differently. Right. And so I really do feel like it's like people have to get tired, sick and tired of being sick and tired and be willing to take responsibility for their, for their life and their results. Um, before they can can really make this a practice because it is it's going to illuminate all of the things that you have gone for so long like not knowing and just living in the fear of maybe embracing for what's what's going to happen what's going to happen but turning on that light is is so essential for actually creating the lives and the freedom and the the fulfillment that we we want um i want to talk to you about something very specific when it comes to traveling light, not just in a, a physical way through life, whether it be the minimalist, minimalist approach like you, backpacking and kind of living out of a out of a carry on, um, but also spiritually that that minimalist uh, perspective, and I want to talk about it through the lens of attachment, um, and what the role attachment plays um, or lack thereof. How do we start to become less attached? to the physical things in our lives, but also maybe the, some of the things that are really weighing us down, um, whether it yeah. be relationships or circumstances that we need to exit. Um, so yeah. what role does attachment 
uh, play? And how do we begin the process of, of letting go of some of those things? So attachment is a symptom of what I call the acquisitive approach to happiness, mm, right? More. So again, going back to this, this analogy of being trapped in this, this confined space. Yeah, it sounds like hell, my hell to me. <laughs> yeah. The way a lot of people think you turn the light on is by achieving things in their life, mm -hmm. right? So by achieving the next promotion, by achieving, by getting the next iPhone, by getting the next soulmate, the, the next house, the next car, it's kind of like, you know, you have a, you can light a match. So you have, you have that much light in the room, which is, which is some light, right? But then it eventually burns out, the match burns out. And what we're talking about with turning up the light inside, that's a permanent, that's a permanent solution. You turn that light up, it doesn't burn out, mm -hmm. right? And so that that type of internal light can only be done from the inside out. Mm -hmm. It can't be done through achievements solely. Now, I'm not anti-achievement. Don't, don't get me wrong. Sure. I, 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 I'm out here achieving stuff. I hope to become a New York Times bestselling author. I hope to live in a really beautiful, comfortable space, have a nice, you know, electronic car, all the things Pr fly private if possible. <laughs> yeah. But, but if we identify those things as the source of our fulfillment, like I need to have that, or if I don't have those things, then I don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. Or if I had them and I lost them, now I want to go jump off a ledge somewhere because mm -hmm. I, I don't know who I am or I'm depressed or so if you're in that kind of situational depression circumstance because you've been so heavily identified with your things, then you you have that sense of attachment that you're talking about. Mm. And the way to, to overcome that is to overcome your acquisitive approach to happiness. Mm. And the way you do that is you start to source happiness where it truly resides, which is which is internally, it's not external, mm. okay? So again, another sign is you have things from your past that are more sentimental than whatever's happening currently. Mm. And so what you're basically saying by, by holding on to the past is you're saying your best days are behind you. Wow. And a, a little mental reframe that we can do is just remind ourselves that actually what I'm creating now is is my best it's creating my best days in real time this is the future in the making and five years from now i'm going to look back at today as the good old days mm -hmm. in correlation to how present i can be with what's happening right now right so so then the work becomes okay how do i get present and so all roads keep leading back to our internal work. And right. it's not just about sitting down and meditating. It's about being grateful for what we're experiencing in this moment with the understanding that it's helping to guide and navigate us to or along our path. Mm. And I have a chapter in my book, Travel Light, called uh, No Throwaway Moments, mm. which is not something I created. It's something that already exists. But I, I use that in the framework of spiritual minimalism lifestyle because eventually once you get the meditation practice going and once you start to make your most important decisions from your heart and not from your head 
then as an extension of that, you start treating life as though there are no throwaway moments. Mm -hmm. And then a quick little story just to illustrate my point here is um, one day I was teaching yoga in West Hollywood, California, and my commute from my home to the yoga class was about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I had driven this, this commute, you know, hundreds of times. And this particular morning, I get in my car, I go to the, the road that takes me to the class and there's bumper to bumper traffic, which was never, it never happened before. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand why it was happening then, but I started getting frustrated. Mm-hmm. I gave myself enough time to get there according to how long it would normally take. And, um, and this time it looked like I was going to be really late mm-hmm. and I hated being late to my class because I'm teaching the class. I don't want to send the message that it's okay to be late, et cetera. So like any good Los Angeles driver, I zigzag down to the next street that runs parallel to that street. And that street was also full of bumper to bumper traffic. So now having exhausted the only other alternative route, I just surrender and I say, okay, I'm just going to be late. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of breathing erratically and I try to calm myself down because again, I'm a yoga teacher. So I'm trying to use these tools in real life and ended up showing up at the class about 10 minutes late. And I walk in and everyone's huddled in the back of the room. And I feel this crunching under my flip-flops and I look up and there's this wall of mirrors in the front of the room. And I would have been sitting in the middle and in the middle section of that wall of mirrors was a missing space. There was no mirror. Mm. And what they told me was that 10 minutes before, right at the top of the hour, the mirror in the middle dislodged and came crashing down into millions of shards <laughs> of broken mirror. And it happened right where I would have been sitting had I gotten there on time. So as it turns out, that phantom traffic jam that I was cursing <laughs> 15 minutes before was actually, it was it was saving me from having a very difficult start to my day. Mm. And, um, and that was, you know, one of those rare times where you actually see the outcome of a delay right. or a rejection. And it's that old adage, nature's rejection is nature's protection. Mm. And uh, it reminded me that even in that situation, even in traffic, and granted, I left with plenty of time. I wasn't late. I wasn't doing anything, you know, irresponsible. I left on time. I went and tried an alternative route. And still I was being rejected. I was being delayed. And in those situations, it's so easy to start to pull yourself out of the moment and get upset, get angry, start thinking this shouldn't be happening Mm -hmm. to me. This is not, this is an unnecessary obstacle, not realizing that life, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it is actually protecting you. You're being spared from something much worse. And and if you can stay present in those situations, not only are you going to save your body, uh, a lot of wear and tear from having to go into that fight or flight reaction, but you may start to see other things that can be helpful for you down the line um, as a result of just having a lot more awareness. So, yeah. so that's essentially what no throwaway moments means. It means that there are no moments in your life that are not helping you in some way, whether you can see it or not see it, right. including whatever you're experiencing right now. Are you ready to unlock your true potential and take your personal and professional growth to new heights? Then listen up, you guys. I want to tell you about The Huddle. This is my newest exclusive way for you to work with me. 
in a group format for you to get mentorship and coaching every single week. Think about what a huddle is. When you're on a team of people, you get together, you put your heads together, you strategize and game plan for what's going on in your personal and professional lives. And that's what we're going to be doing every single week together on a 60-minute Q&A style coaching and mentorship call. This is your opportunity to get access to me and get my hot takes, opinion, and advice on how you can continue to up-level in your life and business. The other thing about this program is that you're going to be surrounded by like-minded individuals just like you as we come together to network, create change, and propel our lives forward with the huddle. So if you want to join me every single week for a place for you to get and propel your life to the next level, then go to torygordon.com slash huddle or click on the link in any of our social media bios. Sign up for the huddle today. I'll see you guys this week in the huddle. And in, in so doing that, you create something new. And I think we get so caught up on, well, how do I let go? It's almost like how, when you're sitting in meditation, you're like, how do I not think about the polar bear? How do I not think about the polar bear? You keep thinking about the polar bear and it just is torturous. And what you're saying is just come into this moment. What is in front of you? Can you focus on what is in front of you instead of what's behind you? Because we think that's like we're missing something. Like we have this idea that we're missing out on something. Um, and we, we want to bring it back into our reality or we want to bring it back into this moment instead of just, and we miss the magic that's actually in front of us. Yeah. And that's what, um, I also talk about in the book, give what you want to receive. That's mm. the next, next chapter because you're right. It takes a sacrifice. If you want to create a certain experience, you have to give something up. Yeah. You know, you can't be a writer. You can't, can't be a writer who writes on a regular basis and binge watch every Netflix show that you hear about that's a good show, right. you know, because you're not going to have time to do both. You can't get in the best shape of your life and eat whatever you want to eat. Mm -hmm. You have to choose, you know, mm -hmm. and somebody said, you know, I heard somebody on a podcast recently say, you know, I, I work really hard to get the six pack and they start talking about diet. And he said, you know, I had to give up a lot of pancakes, a lot of waffles. And he goes, I, but while I love that stuff, I love having a six pack more. Mm. So my six pack is really the story of all the pancakes I didn't eat. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can have whatever experience you want to have, but you can't have all of them. Mm -hmm. You can have, you can have whatever experience you want to have, but that's going to require sacrifice of some other experiences. Yeah. So I love that. I love that way of looking at, you know, this idea of giving, giving something up in order to receive something that is more in alignment with, with what you want to experience now. And, and it has to be something of value. Right. You can't just, you know, how back in the day they would do like these food drives and people would go into their pantry and get rid of stuff they haven't even looked at or touched in years, mm -hmm. you know, some canned food or something like that. It's like, it's easy, it's easy to give up the canned food, whatever your version of canned right. food is in your life. <laughs> and call that a sacrifice. That's not a sacrifice. Yep. No, a sacrifice is you're going to get up earlier in the morning, even though you'd rather be sleeping mm -hmm. to work on your passion project. A sacrifice is you're going to hire a producer to help you with your podcast um, because you don't know anything about podcast production. Mm -hmm. And you know that if you, if you pay for someone to help you with your first 10 episodes, you're going to really show up for it as opposed to doing what you may normally do, which is, you know, talk yourself out of following through after the first two episodes and seeing how hard it is 
and then coming up with some important sounding excuses why you can't go to the third episode and that kind of thing. Right. And, you know, we've all done that with various things in our life. And you, you, when you when you really make yourself accountable and raise the stakes and you know put some skin in the game, that's oftentimes the missing component when it comes to really fully showing up to the things that you say you want to be doing more of, mm -hmm. and um, and that all always requires some degree of sacrifice. Yeah, and I think when we hear sacrifice, we we just fixate and focus on what we are giving up, right? We we think we're losing, right? Instead of all the things that we're gaining as a byproduct of yep. releasing that. And it's just so funny how the mind, it just that negativity bias, it just tends to think and focus on, you know, the one thing, that one critic, that one hater on Instagram, or that one person that didn't like your, you know, your post or that thing you wrote versus the hundreds of people who've said thank you and have, you know, appreciated your expression or, or what you shared. Right. And, and, um, it's, it, it takes that practice, that intentionality to focus that attention. And this is something I've personally, one of the biggest benefits of meditation for me has been recognizing that I get to decide what I give my attention to and what I put my focus on that my, like the, biggest power my 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 superpower is in i'm going to create more of what i give my attention to right and um what i focus on and it and i i know you talk a lot about time i've actually heard you talk because we think time is our greatest asset <laughs> i just need more time to get more things done um but you have a different perspective on that um you're like what is time if you're not present can you talk about about that a little bit yeah, I would say that time is not your most, time is a valuable asset, don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. Time is very valuable, but even more so than that, presence. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not present with the time that you do have, then you're essentially squandering that time. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you just run the thought experiment, if you're, you have, let's say you have all the time in the day, let's say you're a trillionaire, you know, you're, you're the highest, most valuable person in the world materially. Um, and so you have all the free time in the world, but if you're if you're fixated on something that's not happening somebody doesn't like you the way you like them or someone doesn't agree with you if you're fixated on that and you can't be present you can't be in the moment then is that time you have really all that valuable mm -hmm. and i would argue that even if you have just a little bit of time comparatively to other people who may have bought their time back um but you're you're more present during mm -hmm. that time because you're doing, you're engaged in things that keep you in the moment more. Yeah. And maybe that's a daily meditation practice. Maybe that's a gratitude practice that you do. You're, you have, you, you've, you've habituated yourself to dropping into gratitude in, in very normal situations where people would ordinarily be frustrated, such as being in traffic, being in line at the grocery store, um, being in the post office, the DMV and stuff like that. And you find yourself present, not because you're, thinking about being present, but because you're so engaged in the moment and you're noticing everything. And if you ever want to find out what presence looks like, mm. look at a child, mm -hmm. just look at a child. You know, the child is in the, in the room and they're absolutely fascinated and fixated on the littlest things. They're looking, they're looking at screens, they're looking at people, they're looking at animals. There was this, actually, there was this, uh, this 
experiment that was conducted um, in 2007 by the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. So in Washington, D.C., they have a subway system. It's called the Metro. And there's this busy hub where you get a lot of uh, connecting uh, train lines called LaFont Plaza. Mm -hmm. So there's thousands of people going through this place, going to work at the White House and Capitol Hill and these kind of places, government buildings, every morning during rush hour. So they had a, a musician down in the bottom, in the in the bowels of this, this uh, metro station, playing his violin. And he had his little violin case set out in front of him, and he was playing the violin. It was pretty intricate pieces he was playing. And people were racing by, people were on their phone, you know, speaking louder when they went by this guy because he was playing his violin. And, and they just wanted to see how many people were going to stop and put money in the bucket or stop and pay attention to, you know, a few bars of the song he was playing. And at the end of 45 minutes of him playing, he um, he had collected something like thirty five dollars, mm -hmm. and I think they said seven people stopped, and out of the seven people who stopped, four of them were children, huh. and out of the four children who stopped because they were going through there with their parents, probably going to school or you know going to the day daycare or whatever, the parents yanked them along, so they didn't get a chance to stop for longer than a few seconds, right. but. What was interesting about this particular uh, experience is that that musician, three or four days before that, was performing <clears throat> solo in the Boston Symphony Orchestra for $1,000 a minute. His name is Joshua Bell. He's like one of the top three violinists in the world. Wow. The violin he was playing was a $3 million vintage violin, most expensive instrument in the world. And the pieces he, would, he was performing were some of the most intricately written musical compositions in history. Wow. And so he was doing all of this mm -hmm. in the in the metro station in Washington, DC. You know, we've all seen people playing music if you've ever gone to any metro station yeah. in any major city. And they just wanted to see if at an unexpected place in an inconvenient time, if there was an expression of beauty. Mm. Would people stop and notice it? Mm. And the conclusion is no. There's a 99.9% .9 chance that you would not have stopped if you were going through that metro station and if you were going to work or whatever you were occupied doing. But, but if you were a child, there was about a 75% chance that you would have stopped and paid attention. Right. And so... That childlike innocence is really what we're, you know, what we're after when we talk about presence. And obviously, you know, you can't do that all the time. But again, if you're in a situation where you're you're in that traffic jam, like I talked about, you can you have two choices. You can suffer because it's not traffic isn't flowing like you want it to flow, mm -hmm. or you can surrender. Mm -hmm. And surrendering is, like you said, accepting that this is happening for me and not to me, it's just navigating me. And it's through that surrender that you may be able to see uh, something or have an insight about something that could connect the dots between two seemingly unrelated things. And that's what an epiphany or an insight essentially is. Yeah.
is when you're able to see something and that could lead to something else that's you know helping you to create more experiences that you ultimately want to have man that story about the violinist it makes me emotional almost because it it is inspiring to me going forward and i hope those listening to just be be where you are you know be here now as ramdas says it's just a, how much of our lives are we missing out on um how many amazing moments how many connections how much intimacy um that look in your child's eyes or or in your partner you know your partner's smile or you know or an incredible violinist that's right in front of you that you completely miss because we're consumed uh by our phones or by our to-do list or our minds you know and so often we're not in relationship with reality we're in relationship with our minds and the stories that are playing out uh, all day every day and so i i appreciate you sharing that because it it just makes me more mindful of what's in front of me mm -hmm. and that this moment is genuinely all that we have um and that our joy and our happiness and our peace isn't something in our future and it's not something in our past it's only experienced here right now and um if we're not here if we're not present for it then we will miss the peace and the joy and the happiness that's available to us the love and the connection i always say when i go into a breathwork ceremony or some kind of ceremony that i'm leading is you know the thing that you came looking for the thing that you're after it's here right it's about it's not about finding it it's it's already here it's about removing what's in the way of you experiencing it um mm. and sometimes that's just uh, all of the distractions and i loved also what you said about surrender so i think about uh, one of my great teachers who's been on the show marian williamson who um who talks about surrender as giving up attachment to results and that's hard you know that's hard for us as as human beings because we think we know best we think we know how it should be we think we know that the traffic should be flowing and that person should have called us back or done us you know uh, treated us differently or for me for so long there were definitely periods of my life where i was like it shouldn't be this way because i know best right and um mm -hmm. how much of our peace that that will steal from us because we're attached to a, an end result um, because we think that's the the best case scenario. And I think what you're offering people is this perspective shift or what A Course in Miracles calls a miracle shift in perception, which is, hey, actually the thing you think is best like might be a very, you know, like just so far from what God, universe, life all really wants to give you. But if you're so attached mm. to this thing, you're going to miss on miss out on everything else. And are we willing to let go of how we think things should be? Um, so important. And I, and I want to ask you a personal question. It's a two part question um, in, around giving up attachment and uh, letting go. What what's been um, the hardest thing for you physically to give up or let go of, whether it's a physical possession of yours over time as you've been traveling the world, uh, you know, out of a backpack, if you will. And and what's been maybe one of the hardest things 
spiritually or, or personally, mentally, maybe a belief system or something that you've had to let go of um, that, that you found? Because um, I think it's important for people to hear uh, the reality of things, you know, and the human part of it from your perspective. Because it's easy to talk about these things. But what has been hard for you to let go of? You know, I think the thing that we all struggle with, and I'm no exception, is the the FOPO, the fear of other people's opinions. Mm. And um, you know, when you're doing, when I'm when you're running these kinds of experiments, like I'm going to live out of a backpack. I'm 45 years old, and I'm going to live out of a backpack. I'm not going to have any stability in my life. But I say I want to have a beautiful relationship. I want to start a family. So I know that on the surface, that's not going to be the most appealing uh, lifestyle to potential candidates for, you know, partnering with me in that way. Sure. Um, and it's tempting to let that stop me from following through on this internal urge or nudge to take that leap of faith. But while that's playing out, that fear is playing out because I'm not absent of fear. I mm -hmm. still have fears. I have fears that, you know, I'm going to run out of money. I have fears that I'm going, people are going to stop wanting to publish books of mine. I have fears that um, people will stop wanting to take my meditation trainings and stuff like that. Sure. And it's not, you know, the show's going to be over at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and yet, at the same time, I have trust. I have trust that if I follow my heart relentlessly and I follow my curiosity shamelessly, that the net is going to continue appearing as it has been doing for my whole adult life. And so that's what I try to do as often as possible to sort of mitigate those fears. Is I look back through my past, I do a past I'll call it a past life analysis, not about past lives mm -hmm. like reincarnation, but just the past, my past in my life. Yeah. And, you know, I've had lots of rejection, like, like most people I've had some beautiful moments of serendipity. I've had lots of really big successes. And when you look back, what you'll find is that every single one of those rejections led to something positive at some point led to something positive right so if you had any blessings in your life which i think most most reasonable people could identify at least one blessing mm -hmm. even if it's being alive and being healthy and being able to see and talk and walk and mm -hmm. hear and you know those kinds of things we don't consider those blessings because we feel like they're common everybody has that but there are a lot of people who don't have that mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who don't have that and they would gladly give up all of their worldly possessions just to have the ability to see or to hear or to walk or to taste or to reproduce or to you know have something that we we take for granted mm -hmm. and i was doing like i was doing this outdoor workout the other day where i was climbing all these bars and and i posted this on my socials you know a little bit to show off but also <laughs> a little bit just to inspire people to get outside more. And I said that it's not lost upon me how many things had to go my way in order for me to be able to do this mm -hmm. at, at you know this stage in my life. I've never had a broken bone. I've never had surgery. I've never had to stay in the hospital or anything like that. 
and I had supportive parents and I had, you know, a very good childhood growing up in Montgomery. I wasn't involved in gangs or, you know, I didn't get into fights. You know, there was nothing like that. My, my family didn't control what I did in my life professionally once I left home. Um, and that's, that's, there's value to all of those experiences. And so I consider all those to be blessings. Yeah. And so everything that came from that, I also consider to be a blessing, even if it was an experience that I, was difficult to navigate. Yeah. So, you know, and it, that's how life is. If you want to be more patient, life is going to give you a situation for you to exercise patience. Yeah. Just like if you want to have bigger quads, you got to get on that squat rack, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's not fun. Yeah. It's like what Ronnie Coleman said, everybody wants to be big, but nobody wants to lift these heavy ass weights. But that's how you get more resilient. You have to meet resistance yep. in order to grow into your potential. And mm -hmm. so that same is true for the things that we want to experience emotionally and spiritually. Yeah. You're going to go through a bad breakup. If you're trying to become more forgiving as a person or more generous, you're going to deal with selfishness. If you want to be more generous and, and once you start to see that for what it is, and I attribute my spiritual teachers and practices for helping me to be able to see that for what it is and to meet it head on with a positive mindset, mm -hmm. then you really don't have that many bad days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so true. It's so true because you can see it uh, as an opportunity. It's, it's, you can see it as an answered prayer, you know, um, if you, if you choose to. And I, I think that's really, really powerful. I'm curious, who, you know, who did you write this book for specifically? Travel light, like who, who's that person that you had in mind when you were writing these pages on your, I've heard on your phone or wherever you were, like in the world, like writing down, um, you know, these thoughts and ideas that you wanted to get to somebody like, who was that person that you had in mind? And, and ultimately, what do you hope that they take away from reading this book? Uh Oh, okay. Yeah, we're recording. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, yeah. So I'm really curious, like who, who did you write this book for when you started writing these, you know, thoughts, these ideas down on your phone, wherever you were traveling? Um, who was that person that you had in mind that you were speaking to? And what do you hope that they take away from reading this book most of all? Well, first of all, I wanted this this um, book to be t as timeless as possible. Mm -hmm. So I wrote it for someone, let's just say 200 years from now, <laughs> yeah. who, who's wanting to um, find ways to get unstuck mm -hmm. in their life. And they want something that feels accessible it feels like there there's real world application to it. It's not too theoretical. And these are people who don't necessarily want to sit down and read a long, you know, war and peace length book. Mm -hmm. um, they want to just flip it open to whatever catches their eye. So the way I wrote it was in short stories, vignettes, little anecdotes, little exercises, and it's not meant to be read from cover to cover. It's meant to be, um, it's meant to be just kind of open, just like how we normally 
experience books. You pick up a book in the bookstore. The first thing you do is you just kind of flip it open. Mm -hmm. You just kind of, you know, see what catches your eye. And then maybe there's like a beautiful illustration that catches mm. your eye. You're like, oh, that's interesting. What is this? And you go back a page or two to the beginning of that section and you may read a few lines of it. And what do we like most? We like stories. Yeah. We like stories. We don't necessarily like long, drawn out, intricate, detailed stories where there's a lot of dialogue and you have to understand the context. You need to you need to have just a quick little, you know, set the scene part of the story and then something, some identifying characteristics that you can relate to. And then that'll just draw you in. And uh, and so I try to put as much of that in the book as possible mm. just to help people especially people who've been out there struggling yeah. a lot. You know, it's interesting because in my trainings, I teach a lot of young people meditation. And what's ironic is that the med the young people, they they will be able to master this the technique a hundred times faster than mm -hmm. older folks. And when I say older folks, I mean just people who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s mm -hmm. versus people who are 15 you know, 16, that kind of thing. Wow. And what I've realized is the reason why younger people get it a lot quicker is that the older folks, we come into the room with all these assumptions about what we can and can't do mm -hmm. because life does a really good job of beating the curiosity out of us and beating the optimism and the hope out of us that we had when we were younger. And we were just open to, okay, I'll try this. Okay, maybe I'll be good at it. Maybe I won't. I don't know, but at least I'm going to try it. I'm not going to prejudge myself and disqualify myself before I even try it. Right. But by the time you get 35, 40 years old, we, we already all oh, come. I'm not that good at this. Oh, my, I have a monkey mind. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm never going to pick this up. It's not oh, for it's going to be so difficult. It's not for me. Yeah, exactly. And we do that as a defensive mechanism. We, we, we don't want to look stupid, so mm -hmm. we try to make ourselves self-deprecate beforehand. Um, and you could also maybe link it to the fear of other people's opinions, sure. right? But while the kids get it faster, kids haven't had enough life experience to appreciate mm -hmm. the benefits of it. So it's like they do it and they could take it or leave it. But whereas the adults, once they, once they, once they have the the full experience of what meditation could feel like. It's just like this beautiful, it's like having a, you know, a bubble bath in your mind. Mm -hmm. this, this like vacation that you can take for 15 or 20 minutes in a more or less stressful day. And, and they, they appreciate it way more, mm -hmm. 100 times more than the young people do. So sure. it's an interesting little dichotomy. But the reason I was I was sharing that is you know, when it comes to this book and the way it's it's structured, um, it's structured in a way that adults consume because adults who don't have a whole lot of time can consume it. And it's also made for us to be able to practice things very easily wherever we are. You don't need an altar. You don't need to go out and buy a meditation cushion or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You can do these things wherever you are, even on the go. And because it's important to be able to do that and, and get benefit from from something quickly so we can see, OK, this is something I can actually do. This is something I can benefit from. Right. Let me let me go back and dip in a little bit more as often as possible. Yeah. Well, that's what I love about meditation and things like 
breath work is they're free. <laughs> Once you learn the technique and you, you can take it anywhere with you. Um, it's not something yeah. you have to sign up for a class or, you know, be part of a gym or, a, you know what I mean? To, to practice, it's something that you get to, you know, it's a gift you get to give yourself uh, whenever mm -hmm. you need it. And it's, it's, it's truly medicine. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for shedding light uh, on um, the darkness, of, on how we can illuminate our own darkness and be freed from it, and also how we can just enjoy life. I think, you know, we all want the same things. We all want peace. We all want happiness. And these things can feel so elusive, so far away, so hard to uh, attain. And um, so often uh, we, we create unnecessary suffering for ourselves. And so part of the letting go process for me has been uh, letting go of the need to participate in my own suffering anymore. Mm. And so I hope I that's that. what uh, people take away from this, this conversation and from your book. Will you tell people kind of how they can connect with you more, how they can get their hands on a copy if they want to? Uh, we'd love to know mm. how they can connect with you a little bit further. Yeah, so the central hub to find out about everything I'm up to is lightwatkins.com. That's my website. And um, the book is sold everywhere. You can buy a book, so in stores, online. And um, I'm on the socials at Light Watkins, L-I-G-H-T Watkins. Amazing. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure, like we do every episode, to put all of that in the show notes so that you guys can find light on his side of the internet, connect with him, and learn from him and his practices. I encourage you to go get a copy of Traveling Light. Uh, I, I am confident that it will help you um, continue to, to walk the path, uh, to explore the, unpart, uh, the, the parts of you that you haven't connected with yet, and, and just find deeper fulfillment and purpose in your life, which we could all use more of. So Light, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking your time and your wisdom and sharing your medicine with us, my friend. And you guys, I hope that this week that you will go apply what you learned. You won't just listen. You don't just let it come in one ear and out the other, but you'll use it because um, that's when uh, knowledge really becomes wisdom when you have that experience for yourself. And uh, that's when we all become a little bit lighter. So I hope you'll use it this week. Thanks for tuning in. Until next week, go be coachable. I love you. See you next week on the Coachable Podcast.